Hi, and thank you for listening to Dream 10X Radio, where we interview people attempting to live extraordinary lives. Our twofold purpose is to both direct and inspire people bold enough to do the same. Dream 10X. Face your fears. Dream 10X, it's your boy JC. <laughs> Dr. Cable. Trying to add a little energy to this Woo! intro. Feel the, the energy. energy, feel the power. <laughs> Taste the wine. <laughs> Welcome to episode 35 of Dream 10X podcast. How's everybody doing out there? Hope you're doing well. That was a rhetorical question because you can't talk back to us. <laughs> that was so funny because I was trying to explain on the cruise to mom and dad what a podcast was. Like, it's a radio show, and Dad's like, well, do people call in? Like, well, not on ours. (laughs) We should have a number. We should. I think it'd be really cool. See if anybody would call in. 1-800-DREAM-10-X. We should do a live episode Call in. Yeah. What would we talk about with people calling in? Whatever they wanted to know. What's your dream? Tell us your dream. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, why not? That's pretty sophisticated for us, but (laughs) let's throw it on the board and see if we can make it happen. Um, what are we talking about today? What, what's going on? So, I'm exhausted, first of all. Me too. <laughs> we are just coming off a of vacation, and it was amazing. It was one of the best vacations I've ever had in my life. It was fantastic for a lot of different reasons. And I'm so exhausted because at the end of that vacation, we went to our property, our land in uh, southern Virginia, and we camped. And for me, it was a it was a chance to relax a little bit more and and dream. Mm-hmm. And I like going down there and dreaming about what that place could become one day. And what what when we're old and we've lived our lives and um, we've we've made an impact on that property down there. What I, I like to dream about what it would look like, what it could possibly look like, and what we need to do in order to realize those dreams. It's kind of it's just fun. But at the same time, while I'm doing that, I'm not sleeping. And also, I'm listening to the coyotes and the <laughs> roosters and the, the something attacked our tent with like little hands. So like, there were these little hands clawing at the tent. And you were sound asleep and the dog was sound asleep. And I'm like, what in the world is attacking us trying to get in? And then it just grunted in frustration and ran away. I think it was like a possum or a raccoon or something. It couldn't get in the tent. It was like sketching at the tent. It just growled that's and walked hilarious. away. Scared the crap out of me. That's that's the real reason I couldn't sleep is because I'm wondering, thinking in my head, what else is out there that's gonna try to get into the tent? Mm. So, um, but before uh, last weekend, where did we go? You tell us. So we I'm went not to Maine. Maine. We yes. took your parents mm-hmm. took us on a cruise up the coast and down the coast of Maine. Well, it was mostly. Yeah, it was up we went the coast. up and then down. Yeah. So what were some of the ports of call that we stopped at? Oh, shoot. Bar Harbor. Um, oh, yeah. Bahaba. Sa- Bahaba, Portland. Uh, Belfast. Bath. Bath, yes. Bath, yes. Bath. Uh, we skipped Booth Bay because of the weather. Oh, good memory. I could. I didn't remember all that. Yeah. Castine. Castine, right? Right? I loved Castine. Yeah, Castine was awesome. And... And Castine is kind of where the adventure really started for me on this cruise. Like, oh, yeah? I wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, I, you know, I've never been on a cruise like this before. It's not, an, it's not one of those big cruise lines. It's a small cruise vessel. 
And I had never been on anything, anything like that before, so I didn't really know what to expect. And I, you know, I've never done a coastal cruise like this. So um, casting is kind of where it, it the, this, the adventure sprung to life, kind of for me, uh, or, or at least the 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 exciting part of the uh, vacation sprung to life for me. So we're, you, me, and your sister decided to go take a walk in Castine. So we took the um, tender from the from the the. So our vessel was anchored off the out in the bay. Yeah. And we took a tender into Castine, and we just walked around. And it's a very quaint little town, very very main. Yes. <laughs> it was a very foggy morning. I love uh, it. A little bit cool. Uh, and, and then it warmed up when we started walking around. But yeah. as we're coming in to shore on the tender, there's this huge vessel. There's lots of pounding going on. And um, it, it looks like a big commercial vessel, but it turns out it's a vessel owned by the main maritime academy there. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't know anything about I had no idea what was going on I just saw this big boat and then I started uh, learning as we're going more about what's what's going on there and uh, yeah the main Maritime Academy is there and they use this big metal vessel as you know part of the training for whatever they do and there were some cadets in in boats wandering around in the bay I don't, I don't know doing whatever and then there was another vessel called the Bowden which is an 88 foot schooner and it was it was uh, docked right there next to this big metal, uh, I don't know what you call that ship. Big, it wasn't a container ship, but it's a big metal vessel, whatever it was, you know. And so the Bowden is a really beautiful schooner. It was gorgeous, yeah. And it kind of, I, did I see the Tabor boy in Tabor? Yeah. The Tabor? Yeah. It kind of reminded me of that yeah. a little bit. Castine was a, a quaint little town. Uh, started to become aware of the maritime significance of that spot and then we walked around and we had lobster you bought you bought us lobster rolls and very wonderful but extremely expensive surprisingly for me yeah two lobster rolls were like what 70 bucks yeah yeah two lobster rolls and karen's ice cream were was 70 bucks that's like jaw dropping expensive i yeah, couldn't believe karen ate some expensive ice cream too <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so we I went to Maine as a kid, and lobster was like a dollar, and all you can eat, like, it was insane, so kind of crazy that it was that expensive. I was really surprised, so I was glad you bought that for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> it, was, it was really good. So anyway, we got on the boat, and we went to the next port. Uh, I don't remember exactly where we went after that. I don't know if that was Bar Harbor. No, we were coming from Bar Harbor. Um, yeah, I don't remember after Castine. Um, Bar Harbor was cool too. A lot of big yachts. Yeah. Uh, one of the yachts that was in the harbor there at Bar Bahaba was the vessel, the super yacht called Dream, which mm-hmm. I thought was really great. Yeah. And uh, I, I really wanted to say, hey, Captain, you need to call it Dream 10X. Why just Dream? That's kind of lame. <laughs> Beautiful vessel. I looked it up online and I guess it's for hire. So mm. if you got enough money, I, it didn't say how much it costs and it didn't say how to contact them directly. You contact your yacht dealer. Oh, so yeah. It, it must cost a pretty penny to use that yacht. But anyway, it was it was out there in the bay, and I was reading a book at the time, and I was like, "Yeah, this is really pretty cool. I, I, I wonder what it would be like to have the means to to sail to go out on a, a vessel like that, just mm-hmm. to you know lease it for a week or a month or whatever, and have your family on there and and have a great time in a big vessel like that." Yeah. So I got to dream a little bit about that. So then we end up in Rockland. Yeah. A lot of sailing vessels there. 
Uh, so we're we're on the we're docked, but there are hundreds of sailing vessels on moorings all all, all out in the bay, and, and lobster pots everywhere. And I'm like, I don't know how lobster pots aren't getting like tangled up in everybody's keels and and rotor and motors and stuff. I couldn't figure it out, and apparently it happens a lot. And um, I guess the lobstermen get mad if you if that if they find their lobster pot uh, in your <laughs> In, in your uh, uh, what do you call the spinny thing in the back of the, the propeller? <laughs> the propeller, yeah, the propeller. Um, but our our uh, ship just seemed to go right through them. Like they were lobster pots are everywhere. Yeah. Like I don't. There's no. I couldn't see a way to navigate in between them at all. They're supposed to. I heard from another passenger who asked the same question that there was supposed to be a channel. And, uh, I never saw it. I never saw it. No, I didn't, but there's supposed to be a channel and, uh, but it's pretty narrow. So he had to have gone over them. Yeah. I mean, even when you're going out to sea, those things are just everywhere. everywhere. Lobster is a huge business there. Yeah. Amazing. And most people have personal pots, it seems like, because they were all the ones closer to shore and he said the commercial ones are pretty far out. We did go out on a lobster boat. And saw how um, we saw how the lobstermen do their thing, how mm-hmm. they you know pu- push over the trap, and how they bait, put the bait in the trap, and how they pull it up, and how the lobster gets so trapped, cool. and everything. It was really, yeah, really, really cool. The difference between male and female lobsters, the difference <laughs> in their claws. Apparently, they have two different claws. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And they grow them back too. Yeah. If, you, if you break them off, they grow they grow them back. Really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and and what size? How they determine the correct size to keep, and mm-hmm. how you notch the female lobster if it has eggs. So right, if it has yeah. eggs, you notch the tail. Yep. So and if it's a fertile female and she has a notch at any point, then she stays notched the rest of her life. So if her fin falls off and they see it used to have a notch on, they'll put one there, and then she gets to live. Yeah. So, so it's like great. handmade style for lobsters. <laughs> 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 Goofy. Um, so great sustainability practices there amongst uh, the state of Maine for lobstering. Uh, I th- but there's so many lobster yeah. pots. So uh, they're just everywhere. It's it was just incredible to me. And the, each lobsterman has a unique lobster buoy, a color, mm-hmm. to uniquely identify their lobster pots. <laughs> and you can have a personal. Uh, license for lobstering, but you can only have four five. lobster, five lobsters per family. Five lobster pots per family. Oh, five lobster pots. Well, I thought you could only person. have like four lobsters per family or something like. There's there's I a limit was, to the number of lobsters you could have. Yeah, I thought it was five lobster pots, and then okay. yeah, and then you can uh, fish it as much as you want to. And then if you're commercial, there's yeah. like five hundred or yeah, something like yeah. that. Something crazy. I I just found the whole industry very fascinating. Totally. Um, so that aside, just talking a little bit about our, our wonderful experience there in Maine. Um, but the thing that really started to, to uh, intrigue me is when we went to a lobster boil. And a uh, beautiful day, thankfully. There was no rain, no fog, no anything. Nice, nice warm, sunny day. And there was a big tent set out. And there were these huge pots with seaweed and water. And they were sitting on top of fire. And there was a guy throwing some kind of hardwood. I think, uh, what did he tell me? I think it was oak. Mm. I think he was using oak. And he was just throwing it on the fire. And the fire was underneath these pots. 
and uh, lobster was in this salt water that was in these pots. They were just like uh, aluminum. What do you call those tubs? Aluminum tubs. Those, just those aluminum bath tubs. Tub. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, salt water, lobsters in them. Like a wash tub. With lots of seaweed on top. And then they put some wet burlap, it looks mm -hmm. like, on top of that. And um, they cooked the lobsters, I guess, for about an hour or something. And then um, they took all of that off. And then they poured the lobsters out uh, on top of the seaweed. And they were like bright red and just, just really it's beautiful. Beautiful presentation. Yeah, yeah, really pretty. So we're sitting there stuffing our face with lobster, right? And corn, corn on the cob. And, Sweetest corn I've ever had. Oh, so good. I didn't even put butter on it. No, it me was neither. so good. <laughs> uh, did you find out how they cook that corn? Yeah. So they put um, the lobsters in. And then they put the corn on top, and then the seaweed, and then the burlap. And so the lady said it's the, just regular corn that grows in the area. It's not any sweeter than any other corn, but cooking it in the seaweed, or, or in, the in, husk. The, in that salt water in the husk, in the husk, made a significant difference. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was the best corn I ever had. Yeah, me too. I didn't. I always put butter on my corn, but I, I'm like, Shh, this is there so good. There's no point, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what else did we, uh, mussels. There Mus mussels. Oh my God, the mussels were perfect. Corn I'm drooling again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. All the lobster oh, you could eat, and just bright red lobster. Yeah. Um, and the only lobster I've ever had was at Red Lobster. And oh, seriously? That was years ago. Completely different experience. This was fantastic. Yeah. Just fantastic. So, I'm having the, one of the best seafood meals I've ever had in my life. <laughs> fresh lobster right out of the bay, corn on the cob, unbelievable mussels. Uh, I think we had like potato salad and some yeah. other stuff. And so this lobsterman comes over to me. She was a woman, but in Maine, they call her lobsterman. She comes <laughs> up because she was one of the ones doing cooking the lobster. Yeah. She comes up to me and she starts talking to me about how she's, she and her husband sailed, uh, spent time on a, a boat. A houseboat. For 10 years in Europe. Yeah. Yeah. How, uh, yeah. Houseboat. Not, not boat, a sailing yeah. vessel. Narrow boat. Yeah. It just—it was out of the blue for yeah. me. Like I'm—I'm I'm trying to figure out how to get the meat out of my crab or my lobster, and all of a sudden this lady is telling me about how she spent ten years with her husband, tooling around Europe. And I'm like, this is totally random, but I'm fascinated. Tell me more, you know? Yeah. She, so she's telling, I'm like, who are you? And she's like, oh, my name is Mag. And I'm like, uh, okay, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, oh, uh, the captain is my husband, and he owns this maritime museum, and. You should go in there and look around if you're interested. And I'm like, oh, definitely. And she's like, yeah, we have a book about our our time uh, s s uh, traveling on a boat around Europe for 10 years. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I definitely, I got to pick this up. And yeah, she's like, yeah, it's in the museum. Please stop by. We'd love, to love you to go in there. I was like, absolutely. And um, so uh, let me backpedal a little bit. So she told me who her husband was. I knew immediately who that was because there was this old guy up at the front before we could start eating he had a lobster called luigi up front and the uh, italian not, lobster he said italian lobster <laughs> luigi and he's the one who told us when we could go eat and i'm like forget about it i'm trying to figure out how to open the lobster here. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not even listening to him he's up there with his lobster and uh it's just all kinds of hilarity you know and i'm like what the heck? And he's got the lobster standing upside down. He, it's apparently the lobster knows ballet, and and he's got it standing upside down on his tail, and it's blowing bubbles out of its mouth. And I'm like, what the? 
this guy's crazy. I'm thinking, who is He's this fantastic. guy? He's crazy. <laughs> so we finally get invited to go up and get our plates and everything. And I go by the Luigi the lobster and it's a real lobster. And it's really it's... blowing bubbles out of its mouth. And I'm like, this is crazy. So that was Captain Sharp. Captain Sharp is the purveyor of the whole lobster bake and the Maritime Museum. And, all, and I didn't, I had no clue. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, whatever. Just give me some lobster, dude. I'm hungry. Um, but then when I talked to Meg, I put two and two together. They're married and, and they run the whole thing. And they're the ones who spent together 10 years in Europe. And holy cow, he's a, he's a mariner bar second to none, probably. I have never met a mariner like him before. Yeah. And so... After we're done eating and gorging and had a great meal, uh, just our family and maybe a couple of other people, everybody else had left. I don't know where they went. And we stayed behind to go to the museum. So mm -hmm. we go in the museum and there, Captain Sharp is in there and uh, we're just looking around and I had, you know, no idea what we we're going to find, but I was definitely looking for the book that book. I thought it was one book that yeah. Meg had mentioned. And Captain Sharp is in there talking, and all of a sudden, he says, you know, and if you're interested to hear about the Bowdoin, please follow me. And I'm like, well, we just saw the Bowdoin in Castine. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go listen to him. So I follow him. He's, you know, on a cane. He's 88 years old, mm -hmm. and he's walking down the hallway very slowly, and I'm just following him. And I'm the only one following him. And we, we go into this room, and there's a model of the Bowdoin in the center of the room and then there's all this paraphernalia old pictures of admiral mcmillan in the arctic and a narwhal tusk and a wow. sawed off shotgun which is part of the story and all this crazy paraphernalia in this one little room i'm like okay this is kind of this is kind of interesting so i'm standing there and he's like well i guess nobody but you is interested in hearing about the boat <laughs> <laughs> he's like well we'll give a few more minutes to wander down here so I'm just like looking around and then everybody, the cup, you know, a couple more people come in there, but not, not a lot. And I'm, I'm not expecting anything at all really, but all of a sudden he starts telling the story about the boat and that's, uh, slowly but surely drawing me in mm -hmm. and it turns out the Bowdoin was an 80 foot, 88 foot schooner built, uh, in, I think it was in the 1800s or something like that. And it was used by Admiral McMillan to run scientific expeditions above the Arctic Circle. Oh, wow. And it made over 26 voyages up there. And they got locked in the ice up there. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I forget the other guys, uh, the other adventurers' names who, you know, went up to Antarctica and stuff like that. But it sounded just like Ernest Shackleton. Ernest Shackleton, so yes. So he and his crew got locked in the ice. And so it, um, Admiral McMillan's adventure reminded me a lot of Ernest Shackleton. Admiral McMillan did a lot of good for the Inuit people up there. He yeah. took a schoolhouse up there and, and one of the expeditions and just fascinating story. And then um, once th those trips were done and he was get getting old, he decided to donate the Bowdoin, the 88-foot schooner, to Mystic Seaport. So Mystic Seaport took her in and basically just put her to the side, took her, took her mast off, took the engine out, and just left her alone. <gasps> For a long time and basically she was just neglected and didn't do anything with her and she just started falling into a state of disrepair and then um at, at some point in his older age like in, i think he was in his 90s mcmillan admiral mcmillan started saying hey mystic you, please you can't i donated this vessel to you but you, i would like you to fix her up you mm -hmm. know keep her running not just put her in a state of disrepair 
And um, at that point, Captain Sharp heard about this whole thing. And Captain Sharp, if, if reading his book, so I, I found out about his other book called "With Reckless Abandon" in the <laughs> in his museum, and quickly bought it and read it. But um, in his book, he talks about how much of a boat lover he is, mm. and I, that resonated with me a, a whole lot in his love for for boats. And when he heard about the disrepair of boat that Bowden had f- fallen into, he called up the admiral and said, "Hey, would you be willing to give her to me? And I promise to fix her up and and take care of her for you." And McMillan said, "Yeah, sure, uh, please do. Mystic's not doing anything with her." And so he went down there and he picked her up and towed her up. And uh, he t- so he's telling us this story yeah. in this museum, and I was just slowly but surely getting drawn in. I'm like, How? this is this is crazy. We just saw the boated in Castine, and here he is telling me the story about how he took the boat in himself, and uh, he fixed it up. Wow! And and he got he made her seaworthy again. And part of his story was he needed a new mast for her. And the mast needed to be 12 inches diameter and 75 feet long. He needed to find a piece of spruce that was that big. And uh, I, I'm like, how? where would you ever find something like that? But I guess in Maine, in the shipbuilding world, people know how to find these types of spars. So he actually found a company that uh, had had one that fit the bill out of Donkey Deadwater, Maine. Oh my goodness, that, that's hilarious. That's it's such a great day, Donkey Deadwater, Deadwater Maine. And he tells a story about how he got this piece of spruce, and uh, it's 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 a, just a big long piece of wood at that point, right? So, and he talks about the steps for making a uh, perfectly uh, round cylinder spar. Wow! So the first step you do is you square it off, you make it square, yeah, and then you you uh, cut it into eights, so you have eight sides. And then you make 16s, and then you make 32s. No way! And then it, once you have 32, you've got it in the 32 sides. Just like any idiot can make it a, a, a <laughs> cylinder. That oh my gosh, that's brilliant! <laughs> so that's how you turn it. So anyway, that's how he made the he made the spar. Yeah, it was uh, the people that he was working with round. And they got a crane and they stepped it up and mm-hmm. took care of the mass and redid the engine and, and fixed her all up. And then this is the other great part. Uh, there came a, a time where they wanted to show the Admiral the work that they had done on the vessel. So October 17th, 1969, he and his crew sailed a boat in from Maine down to Provincetown, Massachusetts. Woo-hoo! We know Provincetown. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> Because that's where we got towed in on our, our ocean rowing mishap. Yes, we uh, did. We got towed in <laughs> to Provincetown, Massachusetts. So we know that, that area pretty well from a, a nautical perspective or whatever. So anyway, he sails, his, he sails the boat in down with his crew down, uh, down to Cape Cod. And the fog sets in. And this oh. is before GPS, radar, mm-hmm. any of that. So they, they don't know where, where they are when they get down to the Cape. And uh, the way he tells us, the way he told the story was uh, he and his crew came in there and they found a buoy that uh, pointed that, so that they could uh, vector off of mm-hmm. to shore. And as soon as they found the buoy, the fog cleared a channel 
And right at the end of that channel was Admiral McMillan's house. And he's no sitting way. on the deck. He's sitting on the deck with a bell, ringing his bell to help them find their way. No way. To the dock in P-Town. <laughs> Holy cow. So I'm sitting there listening to the story and I'm like, this is amazing. This guy, this is a character beyond, he, he's, he's a, he's a gem. This yeah. guy is gold. Like he's got some... He's got some experiences behind him. And so I was really, really just taken in by this guy, and uh, Captain Sharp. And so anyway, the, the rest of the story is they, they pulled into the dock, and Admiral McMillan came out, and they cheered, and yay, you did a great job on my boat. Come over to my house, and I'll show you a bunch of old movies of, of the Arctic. And, oh, my and, gosh. And up there. So they go over to his house, and they get these old reel-to-reel movies. And, wow. You know, these black-and-white movies of the Arctic and, and all that. and. So I, I really I thanked Captain Sharp. You know this, this is really great because we just saw the boat in uh, a day or two ago in Castine, yeah. and it's great to hear that story, make that connection. I was really touched by that, and it's just really beautiful. Like it's not often you go on a vacation and experience something so monumental, so touching. Mm-hmm. I, I was really touched there. So um, I bought all his books, <laughs> or you bought me all his books, I should say. And the one that I, I just finished reading was is called "With Reckless Abandon: Memoirs of a Boat Obsessed Life" by Captain Jim Sharp, and he's the purveyor there at the Sail Power and Steam Museum. And uh, I, I thought it was Camden, but this is Rockland, Maine. Anyway, it's the same kind of area, Rockland, Maine. It's Camden, like right Maine. next door, I think. Yeah, and so. My intersection with Captain Jim Sharp started at the end of this book. And I just want to read you the, la- the very last paragraph of this book, because this is where I intersect with him. He says, If you journey to Maine, you must stop for a look at the Sail, Power, and Steam Museum of South Rockland. Come in, set a spell, I'll spin you a yarn, maybe two, and you may go home a bit more nautical than you came. <laughs> I so- love it! absolutely true you know we had lobster and went into the museum and found this book and this book is fantastic i I just loved it not only because of the the nautical yarns that he he's he tells throughout the out the book and um his infectious love of all thing wooden boats and Mm -hmm. tugboats he was a tugboat captain as well and um but also to kind of you know part of what dream 10x is all about is to kind of study the arc of other individual successful individuals lives and to see you know are there pieces of that that we could incorporate in our own lives um, as we move forward and try to become successful ourselves and he definitely has a lot uh, uh, to to uh, to emulate in, mm-hmm. in this book so um, real quick just a little bit about his book so the book, the story about the Bowden is also in here, which is the reason I wanted the books because I wanted to read more about that. But um, turns out that Admiral McMillan has a bunch of books about his adventures too, and I'm very interested in reading about that. Um, but oh, there's a quote here I wanted to to read about that um, uh, how he enters into Provincetown. He calls it P Town on, on yeah. the Bowden. He says, groping our way into P Town Harbor, blaring away on the noisy old hand-operated foghorn. Searching blindly for something to recognize, we finally found a buoy and squared away from McMillan's house on the beach. 
The Lord blessed us because just before our time ran out, the fog, like a curtain, rolled back, and there was Captain Mac, perched prominently on his porch, blowing his horn. Okay, blowing his horn, not ringing a bell. Back at us. We jived her over, saluted him, and ran down the beach for the public dock where Mac came down to help us tie up. That is so amazing. <laughs> it's a great story. Wow. Yeah, I just love that. It, it just gives me chills to read that. I mean, the fact that he, you know, took over the man's boat and brought it back to life for him before he died. Yeah. So Admiral McMillan was in his 90s then. Yeah. And so, so Admiral McMillan could then you know, die knowing that his boat came back to life. Yes. And not only did the boat come back to life, this, the story of the boat is amazing. It, it got stuck in this tug of war between other competing parties and ended up becoming the state vessel of Maine. And that's why it's docked in Castine mm. because it's used by the, the Maine Maritime Academy there. Now it's fully, it's fully alive. It's still beautiful. It's still in use yep. and it's being put to good use there at the Maine Maritime Academy. And that just makes me cry almost. It's a wonderful story. I mean, yeah. what a great impact his life had on other, uh, so many other people mm -hmm. just because of that one, you know, one thing where he offered to take over that, that boat yeah. and bring it back to life. Um, so yeah, I really love that story. But anyway, uh, just to kind of summarize his career arc, uh, he, runs a schooner he runs a successful schooner business there in uh camden and he owns uh, he, he ends up buying uh oh, let me back up a little bit he starts off as a young guy his dad runs a, a finance company in philadelphia or in the pennsylvania area i think it's philadelphia um and it's called the terminal finance company which i think is so that funny. is funny terminal finance company because of its proximity to a bus terminal in the area. Okay. So that's why it's called that. So that's how he gets his, his career start. He goes to college, but I don't, I don't think he finishes. And his dad says, hey, you know, I need your help. His dad gets sick and he's like, hey, I need your help running my company. So will you come help me run it? So he comes in and he starts helping. Doesn't know anything about finance really mm -hmm. other than what his dad teaches him. But there's no details about how he actually runs the company. But generally speaking, what he does is has the secretary, there's two secretaries at the company, he basically has them run it while he goes off and learns how to be a schooner captain. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so that right there is genius. He's got this company, it's basically running itself, well, the two secretaries right. are running it. So it's basically on autopilot. It's, it's making money. He goes down to Florida to figure out how to learn to be a schooner captain. Mm -hmm. He fakes his way onto a schooner <laughs> by saying that he knows how to, he's a sailmaker, yeah. when he really wasn't, while at the same time he applied to be a schooner captain down in the Bahamas. Oh, smart. So this actually gets him in trouble because he gets found out by the schooner owner uh, who, who realizes, hey, you're, you're a liar, you're not really a sailmaker, and you've applied to be a schooner captain yourself while working on my schooner. So he gets in trouble and they basically he, he loses both jobs and he's like, okay, oh. but whatever. I learned how to, to sail schooners, so he's good. So, <laughs> so he, he ultimately ends up in, in uh, Maine. He ends up with a fleet of schooners. He's successful. He's got a, he, he has a wharf there. He's got his own dock. Mm. He's got, he's got uh, at least two, two vessels, one called the Rose, Roseway and one called uh, Adventure. Mm -hmm. Both, they sound like wonderful um, schooners that he, he um, takes people out on. 
and he talks a lot about his uh, running that business yeah. and the people that come through and the experiences that he has and it's just really really entertaining book uh, I there's not many books that I've read recently that make me laugh out loud and but this book is real. <laughs> it he, was really fun to watch him read the book <laughs> his sense of humor is, I mean this guy he's he is a He's a gem. This, this is a, you don't find characters like this in, in America yeah. m- much anymore. So I was really glad to run into him. Like he's a real character. Um, he just a really funny sense of humor. He he buys a, a crane, right? He, he he needs a crane to set this tugboat that he's turning into a restaurant. But he need, he needs to put it on shore. You know, you need heavy equipment from time to time to do stuff. We know yeah. this from our land. You know, you need equipment to, to you need bulldozers and stuff to, to do things. He needed a crane to do what he needed to do. So he bought this old broken down crane. He called it Ichabod. <laughs> That's brilliant. Ichabod crane. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yep. <laughs> Kill. Ichabod. I love it. <laughs> yeah, so it's stuff like that throughout the book. I'm just cracking up. Like, man, how did you think of this stuff? <laughs> So yeah, he he runs a restaurant out of his wharf. He's got these schooners. He's he builds apartments uh, at his wharf, and mm-hmm. so he's renting out. So he's got income from his rentals. So multiple streams multiple to really do what he wants income. to do. That's really smart. He's writing these wrote he wrote these books. Uh, there came a point though where he had to sell the terminal finance company because it kept getting broken into, and this and oh. finally. <laughs> Finally, the secretaries got robbed at a gunpoint. Oh my god! And they said, "We're out. Peace out." Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, "Okay, let's sell the business." And, yeah. You know, so that's why he parted ways with that. But uh, so it, it it's interesting to see what he did, like how he got these multiple streams of income, and he built on them. He he they all kind of uh, intersected. So yeah. Every, you know, the the restaurant was there on the wharf. He had a, and he, he used his sister to run the, the, the restaurant. And uh, he had another one, a restaurant that ran uh, inside of an old tugboat that mm-hmm. he acquired. And his sister ran that as well. And Walter Cronkite, another bunch of people used to go there, frequent that because it was a really popular restaurant. Um, books, uh he he was a tugboat operator mm. too, so lots of income, lots of different, in, not lots of income, lots of income streams coming yeah. in, and um, and that allowed him to head out with his wife, third wife Meg, and go over to Europe and travel around for ten years in a small boat through throughout Europe, and wow. and that's how I learned about him is talking to Meg about yeah. this adventure, and uh, I. Very fascinating how that was the conversation that brought me to this information about him. Mm-hmm. So it, it's multiple streams of income was basically the root of that. And I didn't even know it. Yeah. Right? But now I know it. Yeah. Multiple streams of income to enable you to do what you want to do. Yeah. 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 And how he did that. Yeah. And doing things in, in, in this book. Yeah. It, it's not it's not a book about business. It's yeah. not a book about that. It's a book about sailing adventures. Yeah. But while you're entranced with all his different boats and his different sailing adventures, you learn that, oh, he was able to do this because of mm-hmm. how he structured his financial life. Yeah. And I, that's another thing I freaking love about this book is that it's not front and center. It's yeah. like, oh, well, yeah, by the way, this is what I had going on. But, but check out this boat. <laughs> this boat is a beautiful thing. Yeah. It went to the Arctic. And, he, you know, the, life is the adventure, not the... Not the you got to do the money, but the, the 
you, you got to figure out your money. That's important in order to live your life. Mm-hmm. But the life is what's really important. Yeah. And that's what I love about this book and I love about him. It's, it's the life that's important. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so then they ended up, he ended up retiring and doing that and uh, didn't want to be a landlord anymore. So sold all that. But then at the age of 75, I think, 77, saw some another piece of property in Maine, which was the museum, mm. which is what the museum is sitting on now. And uh, all of that stuff and uh, where the lobster bake and all that stuff was going on, that's what he acquired at age 75 or 77 uh, to come out of retirement. And he still wanted to do all that. Yeah. So he built it all out again right there wow. um, where we were having the lobster bake. And so he's still doing that. And he, he lo- I guess he loves telling people stories at the the museum and yeah so, i didn't get to go through them I, I got to go through the museum i didn't get to hear his stories unfortunately because i was uh hanging out with my parents um and uh, they move a little slower <laughs> but we went to some of the rooms and he just just his collection of ships tools yeah. was unbelievable it was really cool and dad um was in the merchant marine academy and also was a sailor, and so it was really cool to hear him, my dad, talk about, oh, well, that's a this, and that's a that, and that's a this, and that's, this is when I use that tool on the ship, and so it was cool, like, for um, just a personal perspective from, uh-huh. like, the Way family to, uh-huh. to hear dad uh, reminiscing on his life, so I wish those two had talked, because that would have been brilliant. Uh, well, your dad was sitting outside the room when, when uh, yeah. Captain Sharp was talking about boats, so I think he heard a little bit of that. But. Yeah. So anyway, um, thank you, Captain Sharp, for sharing your story. I, I just love the adventure and your sense of humor, and I love how you're living your life with reckless abandon, and I definitely want to... It's very inspiring. Very inspiring, yeah, and just a pleasure meeting Meg, his wife, and to hear how they travel throughout. So they have some other books, too, that I, I'd like to read at some point. One's called A Kaleidoscope of Cruises, about their um, traveling, their cruises throughout Europe. That's what I'm reading next. And uh, another one called There's Magic Beyond the Bend, um, also about their, uh, I think it's a boat they bought in Amsterdam. Mm. Apparently, there's more boats in in uh, Belgium than there are people. And really, I didn't. That was wow. like something he said in this book. I didn't realize that. That is cool. T- sounds like Belgium is quite a, a nautical society <laughs> as well. Uh, I for some reason I love uh, I love pe- mariners and sailors because they seem to have so much. They're different. They're they're different people. I don't. I can't put my finger on it, but they're characters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but um, I I think people, uh, communities, and cultures who know how to sail have historically dominated the world. Yep. You know, when you think about the Dutch and the British, and to some extent, America, Americans, yeah. eh, some some part, Maine. Definitely a yeah, nautical society, absolutely. and so I really enjoyed that about Maine. Um, maybe Florida to some extent. Annapolis. Annapolis, definitely in Chesapeake Bay area, you'll, you'll find that. Um, and uh, so I, I have a I have a place in my heart for for sailors. Yeah. Uh, Aww. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? I was in the Navy for seven years. Specifically, <laughs> obviously, obviously, obviously. <laughs> Uh, which is also exemplified in episode 14 of Dream 10X where we talked talk to uh, um, uh, 
Jim Brown. Jim Brown, who is an archi- naval architect and multi-hull pioneer. And so don't miss that episode. He's another. He can tell oh. a story like... He, yeah, he's but some Jim great Sharp, stories. he's got him in the running for storytelling. We need like, to get them on a podcast together. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jim Brown, I, I love talking to him. He he can tell some stories too. And then Nick Jaffe, uh, who's a younger Australian uh, sailor from uh, well from Australia, yeah. <laughs> in episode eleven. Also, those are some of my favorite podcasts. And so uh, anyway, I hope my enthusiasm for for Maine Mariners and especially Captain Sharp and his museum and all the lobster, lobstermen out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really loved it. If you get a chance to read with Reckless Abandon, I highly recommend it. Captain Jim Sharp, if you get a chance to go up to Maine and tour around and see how the, the lobster industry works, highly recommend it. It's great. Beautiful place. Beautiful place up there. And definitely check out the museum. Definitely check out the museum. I forgot the name. Let me look it up real quick. It's called the Sail Power and Steam Museum at 75 Mechanic Street, Rockland, Maine. And the stuff that's in the museum is is interesting, but you really want to corner Captain Sharp and have him tell you a story because he's got some good ones. Awesome. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Over and out. Good night.